0: This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. The uh, previous podcast with Kev Till was so, uh, so jam-packed. What we've done is asked Kev to come back and, and just build on the, the, the first podcast where he talked about talent identification and uh, talent development. Just like to share some of the key things that coaches can have and considerations to, to help develop it in their coaching practice, so... Okay, thanks for coming back.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me having me back, with. And uh, yeah, following up from as previous chat, it was really insightful. So good just to I guess summarise some of the the, the key points. Um, so I guess really, there's there's probably like five five areas that I like to. Um, to think around that, you know, helps helps me, and hopefully helps others think around how we uh, we approach this idea of talent and talent identification development. So, I'd just like to, I guess, talk you through um, through some some of those. Um, so, th- the first one is is really when we think of talent identification development and a pathway, where we really try to prepare um, athletes for the 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 long term, and this idea around like what is the what is the output? What does somebody look like in uh, 5, 10, maybe even fifteen years' time, depending on the on the sport? So it's it's important that um, that really, you know, coaches or practitioners or even policy um, within policy governing bodies have got a I guess a, a clear understanding of um, of the sport and what sports performance looks like in in the future. So being clear what are the you know what are the demands of the sport or the setting uh, at that sort of uh, elite level um, and what do successful athletes look like so I guess we think about that in a bit more detail and some of the areas that could include are from a, um, a physical, psychological uh, technical, tactical and maybe some other things around you know lifestyle etc what are, what do successful athletes look like? And if we've got a sort of a clear a, a clear idea of what that is, um, that helps in terms of making decisions further down the pathway, and that's probably what's you know what's been been termed uh, I know uh, probably quite quite common. Uh, but we within, at least Beckett in the, uh, the coaching group, we, we see that as what's called the performance model, okay. um, and that then allows everyone to have a clear understanding of of what that sports performance looks like. So. From a coach's point of view, that's creating a, uh, their own shared
0: mental model that they can articulate around what that performance looks like. Yeah. But I think there's also some massive benefits from a coach having conversations with other coaches within their sport and asking well, what their understanding of it is and how that evolves, and particularly the coaches that are working in other environments, either above them and, and ultimately. So it's not just what does it look like in my area. Yeah. Having that understanding of model performance, then what do we need to do at different, like you mentioned, at different ages and stages in order to achieve that end performance. So it's not about me creating mini-me's further down the pathway, it's about understanding what does it look like in the high-performance arena when they're ready, uh, what are the developmental components that a young person needs in order to be effective. So I suppose the key for that is to think about, well, what does your model of performance look like? I suppose that links back to understanding what's developmentally appropriate that we talked about in the last one, and then
1: having quality conversations with people within your sport to help you shape what that looks like definitely yeah and i think it's also important to, to acknowledge that this is you know it's never it's never finished it's ever evolving yeah. um, you know it's it's something that you may you know you you probably come back to on a daily basis and you may actually review that model uh, periodically but it's not this is this is the right answer because um, that is going to going to change, and, and we mentioned in the previous podcast around seeing for the future, um, and actually that having a bit of an idea of how the the sport that we're involved in may may change in the future as well. And just just before you move on to the
0: to the second point, I think the thing that I want to hit on for coaches is actually having that shared mental model is very helpful when I'm having a conversation with athletes, when I'm having a conversation with parents, when I'm having a conversation with other coaches, and if I'm lucky enough to be further up a pathway working with uh, a physiotherapist or uh, a strength and conditioner or somebody from human forms or sports scientists having that conversation about what is the model helps them all contribute to developing
1: a more rounded programme more holistic yeah have I mean, it you hit the nail on the head there Chris in terms of it's it's key for communication so every, ultimately the, the model's there so everyone's on the sort of same, same page everybody sort of knows what, what they're working towards and what's in, important whether that is a you know, a, a, a parent who um, needs to know what their uh, child needs to develop or a physiotherapist who is part of the program and you know aligning that, so I think it's it, developing that is key for, for the communication to allow consistency. Brilliant. Thanks, okay. So, if we think around the first one being around, I guess, the future or the long yeah. term, the problem the second one is that we know that these pathways occur at, at different ages and stages within, within young people. So that's you know it's therefore key that um, you know coaches and practitioners understand like childhood and, and young people and yeah, what yeah. they what they're like. Um, so what are you know what are children or adolescents that enter in the program what are they like? What are some of the commonalities or uh, or what we'd expect from that that age? And then also understanding that how does how do children and young people develop over over time and what sort of impacts upon that. So I guess if we think around some examples of that, it would be thinking around, you know, from a biological or physiological perspective around, you know, we discussed it last time, growth and maturation being being key. But other factors could be around from a psychosocial development is what is an 8-year-old like from psychosocially compared with a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old and what are some of the things that we'd be, be looking for which ultimately may, um, should help inform those identification development decisions that we have to make. Okay. And you
0: mentioned last time, Kev, about you know, obviously growth and maturation can be quite a significant band, so we can have an early maturer who's relatively older, that's travelling through the, their own maturation status. Uh, we know that it, it's quite stable when people go through it, but people enter at different times, so therefore you could have somebody who relatively is like three or four years going through through that stage. So I think you're right, we need to understand the the key components of child development but also be mindful of then I overlay that with an individual yeah, we might help we might have somebody who you know, sorry uh, we might have somebody who is physically um, very well developed but emotionally or socially not and and therefore I need to understand the the language and the tone that I use, the pressure and the challenges that I give that young person, but also how I create developments to encourage them to develop in that way. Yeah. Just like we sometimes see somebody who we think we're very good at recognising that somebody isn't as well physically developed and we provide um, strategies and approaches within our coaching and the, the development in order to support them. The same needs to be said holistically.
1: Yeah, no, again, I um, think real key point there is that when I sort of say understand children and young people, we need to understand some of those principles, but we also need to understand there's a, there's a large amount of variability within some of those things. Um, and actually, you know, individuals are all, all different. So there comes, there's a range of commonalities or theories that support that, but actually individuals are different. So I guess this is um, where actually using some theoretical ideas, um, but alongside your actual practical experiences yeah. is vital. So, you know, um, <clears throat> something we, um, I guess, try and recommend within our, uh, the, the modules that we teach on about biopsychosocial development is for people to understand those theories, mm-hmm. but then go and test them with the, with their athletes, mm-hmm. and therefore, um, being able to apply that individuality around some key principles is, is key, mm-hmm. which is ultimately what coaching is about. Exactly, and that goes back to the art of coach. I suppose that, that I always think of it as the... Um the
0: theory provides the, the handrail, not handcuffs. Yeah, definitely. So I don't I don't beat somebody over the head with the, the handrail that enables me to guide me, but then it's the quality conversation to, to do it. And I suppose if we've got sports science and we've got support, there's a whole load of things that we can do to help make that decision. But I'm thinking back to a coach who might be working with a large number on a limited contact time in the base of a talent path. So I think some of the tips are things like having conversations with Creating opportunities to have conversations with the players to understand about their developmental opportunities. Um, simply getting the date of birth helps with relative age effects. Yeah. Uh, having conversations with parents about what are their strengths and what are not. And, and then you know, a simple thing of just keeping a list of like, almost like a, if you like, a long list of each individual and knowing a little bit about them. So yeah. you know, uh, things like, uh, and without f- falling into a bias, the, um, where where a child is on in their family whether the first child or second child can influence their, some of their developmental key markers so having conversations with the family to better understand what yeah. it is and creating conversations quality coaching conversations with both the the athlete and the parent to understand and, and for them to understand more importantly that this isn't about you making decisions based on what they tell you but actually the. Helping you create an appropriate development plan for the,
1: for for their child. Yeah, so I think there's you know a some 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 good strategies there, Chris. I guess again, it comes down to the context which your coach is working in. If they're working within a academy uh, setting, then there are going to be a range of support services available to that, which would you know probably feed in centrally into the discussions. If you're a coach at the like say bottom of the pathway. Yeah, you know, you're probably the primary person, so it normally comes from observation and conversations with people around what do I what do I notice and what do what can I learn about this individual that's may help me our interactions. They all
0: talk about don't they about maturation, it's a real interest one is that mums have the best indicator of maturation judging by the uh, how many times you have to buy new school shoes and trousers for them, <laughs> for him. So the growth piece kicks in there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and and I think just on that point about academy before we move on, yeah, it's fantastic to have a, a load of staff that support you uh, practitioners around you if you're in that position but I still think that from a coach's perspective it's your responsibility to have an understanding of, of all this yeah. and therefore um, the sports sciences and you've heard me say this before the sports sciences is on tap yeah. not on top yeah. so they're inf- helping you make better informed choices as the coach yeah No.
1: Yeah. again it's um, it's I guess it's sort of the amount and level of information and data that that support team can can provide that, that ultimately allows individuals and coaches to hopefully make better better decisions or more inform, informed decisions based upon that. So it may be that a team can provide a, a better source of information because there's more people that contribute to that but then actually sometimes that may create complexities because they may be contra- contradicting data etc. Whereas a coach can you know, go and and, and just you know, like I say, observe and, and create conversations. Thanks, Ken. So, so moving on, the f- the third point is then, um, if we we understand, uh, I guess, long term performance and understand ch- children and, and young people, although the ideas around that is that actually this idea around talent identification occurs at different stages along that pathway. So there may be some sports where t- talent ident- uh, ident- players are identified. At young ages, from you know seven years years of age. Other pathways around that adolescent period, around thirteen and fourteen, and then other sports or other individuals within sports that are identified at those later stages. And but I think based upon understanding the sports performance and understanding children and young people, we you know coaches, scouts, practitioners need to be able to make some informed decisions using um, again a range of like multidisciplinary information. Again, dependent on the context, some of that may be some have some objective information in there, some of it may just be subjective. Ideally it's probably a combination of both. So I think it's it's important what what factors or what information are informing those talent identification decisions. And then we also need to consider that idea around age and maturity within that because those things may impact upon upon that information as well. So I suppose in in summary what
0: what we're saying is Uh, go back to the the shared mental model, you need to be really clear on what you're identifying and whether you're the coach, whether you're an analyst, whether you're an observer, whether you're in some sports a scout, you've got to be really clear on what is you're looking for and providing clarity across the holistic development so not to get romance into one particular area whether that's physical or technical ability but to look at everything with its potential.
1: Yeah, And uh, and again it comes back to having that shared mental model so regardless of the the, the position along the pathway there's it's, it's clear on why why decisions are being made and I guess people should therefore be able to uh, defend those decisions to say yeah. what what like so why is he, why is that individual being selected over that one uh, aligned to, to what we're working towards yeah and I suppose uh, playing devil's advocate a little bit and, and just to
0: put that in in the scope if someone comes in um, as a late, either a late mature or late to the sport, so the late talent, as it might sometimes be called, um, they arrive with perhaps a lesser training age. Yeah. So they might have some potential, but it's how many years I will get out of them before they have to make that key marker as a professional or a
1: performance athlete, and sometimes that might have an impact. Yeah, definitely. I think that's why that point around considering age, You know, there's different types of age, that might be training age and their training experience, um, and maturity is, is is key to inform those decisions because there may be people that you know um, if we two individuals that, that are look the same but one has played the spot for ten years and one's played for one. Where do you where do you edge edge your bets and, and those yeah. bets to get the, the visa and closer to making a decision on on potential contracts
0: or recruitment that yeah. might have an influence on in me slightly like rather than we would traditionally pick the I think we always talk about to, uh, keeping the one that has got through the system despite of the support they've had so yeah, somebody who yeah, yeah. we've got lesser training age but if it's close to making a, a final selection then actually you may well go with the one given if it's yeah, a finite age yeah. uh, and I certainly know Olympic sports where they look at how many cycles will I get out of this individual mm-hmm. or what's the likelihood of them making it to Olympics when they're this, this age and yeah, getting through and yeah. that might influence the dif- their investment in that
1: individual. Okay yeah sounds cool. Okay. So the fourth one is, so we, we had talent identification, the next one is really talent development and again we've discussed this uh, quite a lot over the two podcasts but um, I guess the, the idea of this talent development is around creating that curriculum, so how do you monitor, how do you scaffold, how do you monitor along the way that, that journey from wherever somebody enters a, um, a part of the pathway to working towards that long term long term shared mental model. And ultimately that curriculum is probably based around their technical, tactical, physical, psycho-behavioural, social and life skills development. So again, it, it it's like similar to the discussion we've had. It, it depends on the context. So all those things may be responsible for a coach near the bottom of the pathway. But as we go up the pathway, there'll be probably more specialists that will be work on, on certain certain areas in terms of providing that support. But again, being clear on what are we working to in the in the in the long term to allow people to, to work well together. So you mentioned a key thing there about curriculum. So I suppose what we're saying to a coach is, we
0: we're, when we're developing our our session plans and our long term planning, we're not just considering the physical or the technical and tactical components of our sport, but what is the psycho-behavioural components that we want to bring in at different stages. What are the social and life skills that we're trying to develop within our individuals and within our program. So there's, there's, I suppose there's two bits. There's the broad brush um, approach where I'm putting the big thick paint on the, that's almost like this is the general direction that we'll travel as an organization or a team based on our age and stage. And then there's the individual nuances with the finer paint brush. We're painting the detail for individuals as well. So how do we, how we as a coach think about those things? I think, I suppose the message you're giving is that um, I need to think about all these components for my programme, and they're probably going to be layered and spiralled and revisited, so what do they look like, and what are the key components I need to put in first, and how do I put them in, and then I suppose that's where the scaffolding comes, but I think the key bit that you mentioned that often gets missed is the monitoring piece, so how do I test their development under some form of pressure, whether that's in training or competition, so how well do I know that they're developing some resilience, how well do I know that they're developing their social skills, their interactive skills? how well do I know that their technical ability stands up under a little bit of pressure or under fatigue? What's their tactical understanding when I'm not stood on the sideline telling them what to do? And so, how well are we actually developing them to become that individual self determined athlete and how do we put monitors and checks in to happen?
1: Yeah, I think I think you've summarized that uh, short. Summarized the complexity in in developing a curriculum there, Chris, in terms of number of examples you alluded to, um, because it's, you know, it's not. There's. There's so many questions within what you've just gone through there. It's. It's definitely not straightforward for me. I think the first one is we. It's important that we consider, all those five areas within within the curriculum. We then try and get a. I guess an appropriate balance. What that balance is at, you know, I don't. Yeah. I don't definitely don't know the answers. And not vary really um, on the on, on the sport, sport yeah, and, and the coach's mental model. Exactly. And then I guess the idea around monitoring is some things are easy to monitor. We can monitor physical development through fit, regular fitness testing, etc. But then, how do we how do we monitor the, those some of those other aspects? Is a lot more complex in itself. And I guess that comes back down to some of those subject, subjective um, ideas and methods around. Well, we we observe, we uh, we have conversations, and we try and. Record that in some some way yeah. that allows allows us to keep track of of players development. I certainly think some of the richest conversations you find out about co- about
0: athlete development is when you're having conversation with fellow coaches. So it's actually what we are seeing. so yeah. yeah, you're right. It's does It's nice to have numbers. Numbers are brilliant, but data, but actually, there's a quality in those stories and and what yeah. the richness that comes from them and what are we seeing and observing and hearing from our athletes and yeah. and, and and actually, what does that look like? So. And we can see an athlete perform very well when they're starting play, but coming off the bench or having um, I mean, limited game time can influence how they, they act and react both socially and psycho So then what do we need to put in place to help them better understand that within our coaching practice, but
1: also within their own framework to create an opportunity for them? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, but it's that's a challenge not. that we've got. Thanks, Kevin and um, your final the, la- the last one is then uh, sort of linked to that monitoring a little bit but it's probably then um, I guess evaluating at the at the end so in, in a way in terms of trying to evaluate and understand how successful that that program is and we can do that on a, a variety of things what we touched upon on, on the last podcast. Now first we can evaluate the effectiveness of the system, mm-hmm. so how many players have gone through the system into a, a first team or a, a national squad etc, back to this, which is probably, no, again, the, the primary, what people are working towards are the primary outcome of a talent pathway, yeah, we want yeah, players to, to progress, but I think it's also important that we don't just look at that um, on its own, from an effectiveness perspective, and we we look at really um, our performance Changed and poly hours, was, how was that person changed? Um, so, building on some of the methods we, we just discussed uh, in the last in, in number four, and then also back to this idea around is our talent systems healthy? So, how can we um, sort of look at health in the terms of a quite holistic way again, from a physical well being perspective, in terms of you know, is the health outcomes associated with that as well? This evaluation maybe comes from a bit more from a a research angle and future research directions, and maybe for a coach working on the ground. But I do think it's important for, for coaches to think you know, where have my athletes gone in the short term when leaving a programme, and also in the, in the long term. So, I suppose there's some simple things out aren't there. So,
0: from a health perspective, are they actually enjoying the sessions? Yeah. Am I losing players or athletes within my, within my environment? Right, yeah. Am I getting people wanting to come? So there's a there's a there's a well being and positive environment stuff that we can we can pick up and yeah we that's, can yeah, from, that's from a, a health. Yeah, yeah yeah. From you, a, you know how many people yeah. are turning up to your session, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think from an effective piece it, it is that about well, what's our retention, what's our progression, and how well are we doing that and, and how, what we're we doing over time as well. So yeah. it's great to have a snapshot. We've all uh, we've all experienced a coach that's worked with a with a superstar athlete that's come through, and and there is, that's all that's great. But how effective is your pathway, and how is it working with everybody? And I think sometimes we we look at who produces the, if you like, the superstar athlete that's coming through, and and we need to be mindful of actually what's the value added we've done. So when someone comes into our pathway, what ad value added has this environment done? And that's not to take anything away from the individual because we all know that it's the individual that makes that journey the coach is simply there to support them and create the most opportunist and best environment possible but i think we can start to look at what is what does that look like do I, does, does my pathway consistently produce uh, again let's define the outcomes yeah. is it pathway long term is it pathway i'm still playing the sport in 20 years is yeah. it pathway and being professional is it playing for the country and representing a major games world championships and olympics so, I can start to look at that and, yeah. and sometimes that might take a few years to come through, yeah. um,
1: especially working at the base of a pathway. Yeah. I think it's good ways to celebrate the, the pathways as well, if those, you know, which, you know, some again, sometimes pathways will focus on those athletes that have been affected but we know that there's a range of other outcomes and actually celebrating right. some of those other journeys as well alongside the sport in ones is probably yeah. key and if people, coaches and, and, and pathways think around those Journeys and, and stories. Then, um, I think that's a good way of sort of celebrating and reflecting back on on the impact and like you term the, the value added along the way. Because ultimately we can't often, everyone can't make the the end goal. Have, no, as much as we'd like to. Yeah.
0: And I think that I suppose the other bit, which is just a throwaway, but when you've been around the pathway for a period of time, one of the things nice for me now is you've got players that are retiring that are coming to you for uh, the coach. They're making the first steps in coaching, but they're coming to you. Um, asking for advice and thoughts and experiences and what things and bouncing ideas off you, which I suppose shows that their experiences through your pathway from a healthy, effective, and their enjoyment point of view is the, what, the, what they, they gained from you as a coach, they want to they put into yeah. their practice. So I suppose there's a there's a reflection piece there that might be eight, 10, 12 years down the line yeah. if you're working with the younger age groups. Yeah. But that's a real positive and, and not to do it. I think he said, I think, the challenge for coaches is uh, I was at an event um, this week, and one of the things they said is, no matter how good you think you are, you suck. And it was this attitude of we always need to keep moving forward to be the best we can yeah, be. So yeah. all of us, we might think we're good, but really it sucks because there's something better. It was a very Americanism thing. However, uh, I think we need to take time to celebrate our successes, like yeah. you mentioned, and recognise that the progression and recognise that what wider value we bring back to your health point. What wider value do we bring to young people, society, and and the experiences that they get? So yeah. I think it's acknowledging that that's a significant part particularly at the base of the talent pathway yeah. while some people journey through and make it all the way we,
1: everybody else is gaining great experiences along the way yeah and I think like just to, to finish I think it, hopefully this is quite timely I think there was a there was a, a paper and some media articles that came out last week in relation to like physical activity levels of yeah. like 12 to 16 year olds and like 80 odd percent of the world's 12 to 16 year olds don't meet the physical activity levels yeah. And actually these talent pathways are criticized for, potentially criticized for their healthiness, but when we think about physical health, and mm-hmm. they're, probably the, they're, they are, they're the individuals, adolescents, that are meeting those physical activity levels. Mm-hmm. And I think if we, therefore, you know, in, in sport, are, 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 you know, the, when we consider the, what sport can, can offer to the to the world from a, a range of different perspectives, I think that's really important. And it ultimately comes back to creating environments based around some talent development type principles that is going to make people get involved in sport for hopefully as long as possible thanks for that careful i really appreciate
0: you taking your time to to share those um considerations for a coach i think what, what what's hit home to me is that often we as a coach we sometimes think things are outside our control and you've managed to share through the two podcasts there are so many things that i can start to consider in my practice apply in my practice have conversations with athletes parents and the rest of my coaching team to have such a big big impact in the pathway so thanks very much for your time really appreciate it
1: no thanks for having me Chris really enjoyed it and uh, hopefully it's useful thank you join us at ukcoaching.org whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve we can help you deliver
0: great coaching experiences at a time to suit you